What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. once considered to be in the dark ages, and then we had the age of discovery, and then the age of enlightenment, and then the age of revolution, and now we're in the information age. But you know, with all of our discoveries, all of our enlightenment, all of our revolutions, all of our information, we are still spiritually in the dark ages. You know, the, the greatest discovery that anyone can have is the discovery of who Jesus is, the discovery of what he's done. The most important bit of enlightenment is the realization that we're sinners, the realization that we need a savior. The most significant revolution that we can join is the revolution to join with Jesus, to stand up against this world, to stand up against the power of Satan. And the greatest information is the inspired word of God that we should learn and that we should live. But that's not where our world is at. They have not discovered these things. The enlightenment that they have come to has not been of Jesus Christ. The revolution that they're joining is definitely not with Jesus. And the Bible is not something that they hold to, not something they believe in, not something that they even uh, aspire to in any way, shape, or form. And this shouldn't surprise us. Because the Bible reveals to us in the time that we are living in, which the you know, Word of God reveals as the last times, it tells us what the world is going to be like in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5, It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You look at this description and you look at the world that we live in and it's quite an accurate description of where our world is at. We live in a world that is very spiritually dark and full of sin and the spiritual darkness that we have from this world, it's not just because we're, we're fighting against people who are sinners. There's an even greater force that we have to deal with. Ephesians 6 12 says, For we do not wrestle against um, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So as believers, we're not just dealing with the fact that we're in a world full of sinners. We're dealing with something even worse. We have a spiritual battle. There's a demonic presence that is ruling the darkness of this world. And so there are two things very important for us to understand as Christians. First, we live in a world that is in spiritual darkness. And second, we are battling against demonic rulers who are trying to keep this world in spiritual darkness. And because of both of those realities, 
What we're going to look at this morning is so important for us to understand and so important for us to apply to our lives. Last week we started and we looked at Jesus sharing what it is to be the salt of the earth. And this morning we're going to look at the next thing that Jesus challenges us with, and that is to be the light of the world. You see, what's going on in our world, the spiritual darkness that surrounds us, makes it so important for you and I to be light. Let's see what Jesus shares with us and what we can learn. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, this is quite a significant thing that Jesus says to us because this is something that he said about himself. In John chapter 8, verse 12, we're told, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus clearly says, I'm the light of the world. But then in John chapter 9, Jesus shares something important about the time frame of him being the light of the world. John 9 verse 5 says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the time frame that Jesus gives us here says, hey, as long as I am presently physically in the world, I am the light of the world. And in John chapter 12, Jesus tells people that the time of him being the light of the world is running out. John 12, 35 and 36, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So Jesus has already given this time frame of, hey, you know what? I'm the light of the world as long as I'm physically here, but my time here is running out. I'm going to be leaving. And so the recognition that is coming. And so in these three passages, we see that Jesus is the light of the world, but he's only the light of the world as long as he's physically present in it and that he's going to leave it. And he did leave it. After he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended back to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And this brings up a very important question for us. Since Jesus, the light of the world, is no longer living in the world, how does the world see and experience his light? The answer to that question is the world sees and experiences the light of Jesus through those who believe in him. Because, notice what Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, when Jesus said, you're the light of the world, he was using an expression that was quite familiar in Jewish uh, thinking. The, the disciples would have understood you know, and heard this kind of phraseology before because the Jews spoke of Jerusalem as a light to the Gentiles, and they often called a, a rabbi a lamp of Israel. But the way in which the Jews used this expression of you know, the light to the Gentiles or a lamp of Israel is a key because it's the way in which Jesus uses it as well. 
When the Jews spoke of Jerusalem as a light to the Gentiles, they understood that no man lit his own light. Jerusalem was indeed a light to the Gentiles, but God lit the lamp. It was God who was the source of of lighting Israel to be able to shine among the Gentiles. And the rabbi, who was a lamp to Israel, they recognized that God was the one who lit that. God was the one who was shining through that individual. So the Jews, when speaking of themselves as a light, they understood that they were only the light because God was shining through them. They did not produce the light God did. Now it's with that same mindset that Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. Jesus is not telling the disciples, he's not telling us, hey, you guys need to produce your own light, but to shine his light to the world. You know, a good analogy of this is the sun and the moon. The moon doesn't have its own light source. So when you look at the moon shining at night and it's, and it's giving off that light, it's not because the moon produces its own light. It's because the moon reflects the light of the sun. And ultimately the light that we're seeing is the light of the sun being reflected on the moon to us. So in this analogy, Jesus is like the sun and the believers in Jesus are like the moon. We don't produce our own lights. We are called to reflect the light of Jesus to this dark world. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 speaks of this. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This verse tells us, hey, God is the one who's shining in and through believers the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, we are the light of the world, he's telling us, hey, I have given you a responsibility. I'm no longer physically present in the world to be the light that I was when I was there. And so now I give you the responsibility to shine on my behalf. You now have the role of shining for me in the world that I have left to you to be my ambassadors and my witness. And fulfilling that responsibility is such a vital thing. Why? Because we live in a world that's full of spiritual darkness and we have an enemy that is seeking to keep this world in spiritual darkness. And the main thing that's going to help them get out of it is when the church believers shine the light of Jesus to this dark world. Now, in order to understand how we practically do that, when Jesus says, you're the light of the world, there's a reality that we need to be that light. How do we do that? Well, I want to look at really the two main purposes for light in Jesus' day. And, and it really hasn't changed much. They're pretty much the same purposes for light in our day as well. The first purpose of light is to expose what is in the darkness. As you can see from this video clip, everything's pitch black. You don't have a clue what's going on. And all of a sudden, when the man turns on the flashlight, the light from that flashlight exposes what's in the darkness. Now you see this house, you see this car, you see everything clearly because the light now has exposed what was hidden in the darkness. You know, when you come home from work, especially if it's at night, you know, the first thing you do when you come into your house is you turn on the lights. You, know, you, you want to see everything. You want the darkness and what's been hidden exposed. And, you know, one of it's just practical. I just want to see where I'm going. But 
But there's also a safety aspect of just in case there's someone or something in there that, you know, isn't supposed to be in there. I just want to have the light. I want to be able to see what's going on. And, and sometimes we turn on the light and exposes things that we didn't know that were there and we didn't want there. You know, a couple months ago, I, I went into our garage and, you know, the garage is pretty much always dark, but it was at night, so it was pitch dark. I turn on the light and I see little cockroaches, you know, running on the ground, trying to get back into the darkness. And that light exposed, hey, there's something in my garage I don't want in my garage because they're in there. They're going to then come in my house. But I didn't know they were there because, you know, whenever I was in there in the light, they never came out. I never saw them. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, the darkness was there. I turn on the light. Boom. I could see them running around and exposed that they were there. And it gave me the opportunity to kill them and get rid of them. So... One of the main purposes of the light is to expose what's in the darkness. And since we live in a world that's spiritually dark, since we live in a world where we are called the light of the world, the first thing that you and I should do as light is expose the things that are in spiritual darkness. In John chapter 3, John reveals that's one of the purposes of light. Light exposes darkness. Notice what we're told. John 3, 18 through 20. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Jesus says, hey, those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, they're condemned. Well, why are they condemned? Because Jesus the light has come into the world and those who are evil and practicing evil deeds, they hate the light. Why do they hate the light? Because it exposes their sin. It exposes their evil deeds. So one of the reasons that people didn't want to come to Jesus the light is because they didn't want their sin to be exposed. They didn't want to have that seen and, and revealed. Well, guess what? As believers in Jesus, we're reflecting the light of Jesus. And because we reflect the light of Jesus, just like when He came to this earth and He exposed sin, when we reflect His light, we are those who expose the sin of the world around us. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us an important challenge concerning this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. You and I used to be darkness. That's what we were before we accepted Jesus Christ. And when we placed our faith in Christ, we went from being darkness to being light. And because we are light now, one of the roles that we have, notice what we're told here, is to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. This Greek word translated exposed means to bring to light, to call to account, to reveal. 
So when we're shining the light of Jesus, we're going to bring to light, we're going to call to account, we're going to reveal the darkness, the sin that's going on around us. Light reveals sin. Darkness conceals sin. And that's why people who are in sin, they like to stay in the darkness because it conceals it, but the light reveals it, and they don't want it revealed oftentimes. Now, there are two practical ways that we expose darkness as believers. The first way we expose darkness is by believing in and boldly proclaiming the gospel and the truths of God's word. God's word reveals what is right. It reveals what is wrong. It reveals what is sinful. It reveals what is godly. And our culture is unaware of those truths. So often our culture says, you know, things that are uh, sinful, they're okay, they're good. And we need to be those who stand for what truly is right and what truly is wrong. To be that light in a culture that doesn't understand God's standard of truth. When our culture says a behavior that God says is sinful isn't sinful, hey, we need to be the voice that says that's wrong. You know, our culture today says, you know what, any sexual relationship that you have is fine as long as it's among consenting adults or as long as it's among two people that love each other. You know, whatever it is, whatever group of people that come together and engage in that, it's okay. If they're consenting and they love, there's no problem with that. But that goes against what God's Word says. God's Word says, no, that's not true. There's only one avenue in which a sexual relationship is deemed okay. And that is through a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that, no matter how much you claim you love that person, no matter how much you consent with that activity, it's sinful. It's wrong. And so we as believers have to stand against the culture and say, no, that's not true. That action is not right. And as we do that, we expose the reality that what they're doing is sinful. And oftentimes they don't like it. And we can see that. And they, you know, name call and they want to label us as certain things because they don't want the reality of what they're doing to be exposed. So how dare you say that, you know, you can't claim that, that what I'm doing is wrong. I don't want anyone to think that what I'm doing is wrong. The second practical way that we expose darkness is by living out what God's word tells us to do. You know, this is so important. It goes hand in hand with the first point, because if you're just proclaiming things but not living them, then your voice really has no power. The words that you say have lost it. If you stand up and say, you know what, hey, it's wrong for you to be in that kind of you know, sexual relationship, and you're in one yourself that's ungodly, you know, you've lost all credibility to stand for that. If you stand and say, you know, it's wrong for you to, to be getting drunk and partying and doing that while you're doing it yourself, then you've lost all credibility to stand and make that statement and say, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, they'll turn around and say, well, then neither should you. But we need to live and practice what we preach. Now, we're never going to be perfect, but we should be seeking to put into practice the truths of God's Word. And I have found that is actually the better exposure. When you're with people, and you don't have to constantly preach at them, you don't have to constantly tell them you know, this and that and the next thing, you live your life the way that God's Word says, and it exposes what people are doing. And I'm sure that you have experienced it. When you're around people at work and they're constantly swearing or, or telling dirty jokes or, you know, they're just the, the conversation is just very sinful, but yet you don't engage in any of that. 
And time after time, they're with you and you're not engaging in that kind of conversation. You're not using that kind of profanity. It makes them feel uncomfortable. Why? Because it's exposing how dirty that is, how sinful that is. The fact that you don't do it, the fact that you live differently, it exposes what's going on. And oftentimes you'll find that, you know what, I just don't want to spend time with you anymore. (laughs) I don't want to be around you because I don't like the fact that you don't do what I do and it makes me uncomfortable. You know, when I first got saved in high school, my senior year before that, I partied a lot. And I tried to reach out to friends that I used to do drugs with and drink with and, and party with. They liked the old Matthew. They liked the guy who did all that. But when I wasn't willing to do that anymore, they didn't want anything to do with me. We don't want you around here because we're not having fun. We feel guilty because you're not willing to do what we're doing. And so, you know, there was this reality that just my presence with them, because I no longer engaged in that sinful behavior, exposed their sin. It made them uncomfortable. You know, one of the most important things this world needs to understand is that they're sinners. Because guess what? Until they recognize they're a sinner, they're never going to understand their need for a savior. Until they come to that realization, yes, I am a sinful person, they're never going to be like, Lord, I need a Savior. I need someone to save me from my sin. And so that's the starting point. And as we expose through our light that people are sinful, it brings them to a realization, well, what do I do with my sin? What's going to happen to me now that I'm a sinner? And that's what leads them to the next important thing of them seeing their need of Savior. So the first thing that you and I do as the light of the world is we need to expose spiritual darkness through proclaiming the gospel in God's word and by living out the word. Until the world can see what they are, which is sinful people, they're never going to see what they need, which is a Savior. And that's why we need to expose what they are by shining the light of Christ. So the first purpose of light is to expose darkness. The second purpose of light is that it guides us through the darkness. You know, when I was a teenager, I went through this cave, and it was a pretty cool thing, this huge cave, and exploring in is, you know, it's kind of bright up there, so you can't see it as well. But these guys are going through a cave with torches, and, you know, as you're going through a cave, if you don't have any light, I mean, once you get past the mouth of the cave and you take that first turn, I mean, pretty much everything is pitch black. You can't see a thing. And if you go a little bit in there and you turn off your lights, you know, you're not, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And so you're desperate to have a light to guide you. And I remember as we went through, one of the guys who, you know, had the lights and he pretends it doesn't work and trying to freak us all out of how we're going to find our way out of here. But, you know, it wasn't broken. But for a moment, we're thinking, how are we going to get out of here? We don't know where to turn. We don't know where to go. It's so easy to trip or, you know, who knows where you're stepping because you can't see anything. Without the lights, you have nothing to guide you. You know, that's why on our cars we have headlights. You know, here in Houston, we have, you know, very few roads where it's just pitch black and there's no, you know, street lights or any other source of light. But you go into a country area where there's no lights at all and you're driving and the only lights that you have are your headlights, you realize how vital they are for guiding you. You turn them off, you can't see. You're not going to stay on that road. You're not going to know the hazards that come. You're going to crash into something. Those lights are vital to guide you so that you can get to where you need to be. In Jesus' day, they didn't have cars with headlights. They didn't have street lights. And when they walked at night, they needed some kind of light 
to guide them, to help them see what, where they were stepping, where they were going, so they could get to their destination. Since we live in a world that's in spiritual darkness, since we are the light of the world, the second thing that we should do as light is help guide people through the spiritual darkness they're in to the light. You know, this was one of the main things that Paul the Apostle was called to do right after his conversion, and it's something that you and I are called to do as well. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is, you know, kind of sharing about his conversion experience, and notice what he says that God told him to do. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things of which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, notice what he says, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. One of the things that God called the Apostle Paul to do is I'm going to send you out into the world. And one of the roles that you're going to have is to open people's eyes in order to turn them from darkness where they are to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. So ultimately they can have faith in Jesus. Paul was meant to be that shining light to guide people to Christ. That was one of his roles. That's one of our roles as believers in Jesus as well. Daniel 12.3 says this, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel's saying, hey, we need to shine bright like the bright stars in the sky so we can turn many to righteousness. That's one of our roles as we shine. It guides people and leads people to Jesus. Our light exposes people's sin, but once they recognize their sin, they need to be guided to their Savior. And so we have both roles. We're exposing sin, but we're also not just to be sin exposers and the world's left with this reality of, I'm a horrible sinner, what do I do? We're also to be that light that guides them to the answer to their sin problem, guides them to Jesus the one who has paid for their sin on the cross. And how do we practically do that? Well, very similar to what we did the first one. The second thing we need to do as a light of the world is guide people through the darkness by proclaiming the gospel and God's word and by living out the word. Now, after Jesus tells us we're the light of the world, he shares something very important about being light. Notice what he says. You are the light of the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So Jesus shares with us two illustrations here, wanting us to understand something very important about being light. His first illustration that he gives is a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now the reason that people would put cities on hills is for the purpose of being seen. The light of that city would be seen for miles around. You, you can't hide it because there's nothing to, to take away from it. You, you put it down in a valley, it can be covered with trees, it can be covered with mountains or whatever. You put it up on top of a hill, 
then everyone's going to be able to see it. There's nothing that is, you know, keeping that light from going out. And that was very purposeful. It was purposely placed there for the reason of we want as many people as possible to see it, to see the light. So why? So they can come. As they're traveling at night as well, they're, oh, there's our destination. I see it. I know where I'm headed. I know where to go. So the first illustration that Jesus shares is that people put cities on hills so that its light will be seen, not hidden. The second illustration is, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, in Jesus' day, they didn't have the electricity that we do. They didn't just flip on a switch and light automatically happens in their house. You know, they had little oil lamps. And Jesus brings up an important reality that the purpose of that oil lamp was to bring as much light to the house as possible. And so something you wouldn't do is take a basket and place it over the oil lamp. Why? Because it defeats its purpose. The purpose of the lamp is to bring light to the house. If you cover that lamp, then you cover the light and you defeat the purpose. And so Jesus is saying it's not meant to be hidden, it's meant to be seen. And so you wouldn't put it under a basket, instead you put it up on the lampstand, which is up high, so that the light gets um, into the house as much as possible. So just like with the city on a hill, they purposely put the light in a place where it would be seen by the most people. So with these two illustrations, Jesus is really making one main point. Light needs to be placed where it will be seen by the most people, and it's not to be hidden. And this is so important because Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And let me give you these illustrations to understand the purpose of you being the light of the world is to be seen by the world. It's not to be hidden from the world. And this is so important for us to get as Christians because too often we are hiding our lights. We are those who aren't uh, shining the way that we should. Dwight Pentecost wrote this, The nature of light is to shine. There's no such thing as light that does not communicate itself. There's no such thing as self-contained light. Light may originate in a distant star and travel a span of light years, but it does not get tired of shining and cease to shine. Its nature is to shine. Christ says He has made us lights in the world, and we are not self-contained. It is the nature of a child of God whom has been made light to communicate the light given to Him. God's given us a purpose. Hey, I made you the light of the world to shine my light. I've not given you that role so that you can hide it. Jesus goes on to say in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice where Jesus says we should be shining our lights. Shine your light before men, before those in this world. Notice Jesus doesn't say, let your light shine before yourself. You, know, you can go in and turn on the light in an empty room. Darkness will be exposed. The light will come on but no one's going to be benefited by it. No one's going to see it besides you. And too often that's how we are. Oh yeah, I'll shine when no one's watching. Well, that doesn't do any good. Notice that Jesus also didn't say, let your light so shine only at church. 
Too many Christians have some mindset, hey man, when I get together with other Christians, I shine the light of Jesus and then it's great. But then Monday through Saturday, I'm dim. I don't shine at all. When I'm around the people who really need to see the light of Christ, those who don't know him, that's when I'm not shining at all. Charles Spurgeon said, Christ never contemplated the production of secret Christians, Christians whose virtues would never be displayed, pilgrims who would travel to heaven by night and never be seen by their fellow pilgrims or anyone else. We're not called to be secret Christians. We're called to be ambassadors who are boldly willing to stand before the world and shine for Jesus. You know, one of the problems that we have as believers is that sometimes we don't reflect the light of Jesus. Earlier I gave that illustration of the sun and the moon, and the sun shines and the moon reflects to the earth so that it gives light. But sometimes instead of reflecting the sun, we eclipse it. Instead of reflecting the light of Jesus to this dark world like we're supposed to, we block the light of Jesus to this world so they can't see it. We're meant to be the reflector, we're meant to be the shiner, but yet because of the way in which we live, because of things that we do, because of our darkness, we now hinder the world from seeing the light of Jesus that they're so desperately in need of seeing. And one of the main reasons that our light goes dim, one of the main reasons that we don't shine, is because we allow the world to get between us and Jesus. You know, it's interesting, a solar eclipse is when the moon begets between the sun and the earth, and the moon blocks the sun, and so people on the earth can't see it. But there's another type of eclipse. It's a lunar eclipse, where the earth gets between the sun and the moon, which keeps the moon from reflecting the sun. I find this interesting because one of the main reasons why we often don't reflect the sun is because we allow the world to get between us and Jesus. We allow the things of the world, the pursuits of the world, the desires of the world. And when that happens, we're now ineffective. We now no longer shine. We now no longer reflect the light because we allowed the world to get between us and the Lord. And now we're no longer shining in the world like we should. Years ago, when horse and buggies were still common, there was a tragedy on a railroad crossing. A buggy containing an entire family was struck by an oncoming train that the buggy didn't know was coming, and all the people in the buggy were killed. There was an investigation, and they questioned the man who was assigned to watch that particular crossing. They asked him if he was at the crossing at night as he was supposed to be, and he said that he was. Did you know that the train was coming? Yes, he said it was on time as it usually is. Did you take your lantern and go out and meet the people as you were supposed to? Yes. Did you wave your lantern towards them so that they would know not to come because the train was approaching? Yes, I did. Well, that was the heart of the investigation. And after a few more questions, the case was closed and they just chalked it up to being an accident that can't be explained. Well, years went by and the watchman was close to death. And a friend came over and he started to moan over and over. Oh, those poor people. Oh, those poor people. The friend asked who he was referring to, and he referred to those people in the buggy that were struck by that train. And his friend tried to reassure him, saying that was a careful investigation, and you were completely cleared of any wrongdoing. And the watchman said, but there was one question they didn't ask me. They didn't ask me if my lantern was lit. It wasn't, and the family died as a result. 
You know, we live in a world where there are people who have no clue of what's coming. They're in sin and there is judgment from God. God's wrath is coming unless they get right with Jesus Christ. They're about to be destroyed. They have no clue what's happening. They're in desperate need of someone with a light to bring warning, to expose, to point them to Christ. But sadly, like this gentleman, the question is, is your light lit? Are you shining so people can see? Because it's not just about us. Other people's eternal destiny depends on how we shine. Jesus finishes by telling us what this world will see and what this world will do when we shine before Him. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when we let our light shine, notice one of the things that the world's going to see. They're going to see our good works. And I want to reiterate that. I made that in my points earlier. We shouldn't just be those who proclaim truth, those who just speak about the gospel and speak about the word of God, but yet our life doesn't have good works. Our life is not lived in a way that is demonstrating the light light of Christ. So it shouldn't just be what we say, which is an important part, but it also needs to be what we do. And Jesus says, hey, when you shine, and obviously in this context, he's saying, well, one of the best ways to shine is through your good works. People are going to see that. They're going to recognize through what you do that you are reflecting me. And notice what happens when they see that. They're going to glorify your Father in heaven. You know, this is something we, we desire, hopefully, as Christians. I know as a pastor, people will come and, you know, what can I do in my life to bring glory to God? Well, here's one. Shine the light of Jesus to this dark world. Because when they see that, they're going to glorify God. And notice who they're not going to glorify. You. And that shouldn't be the purpose of shining. It shouldn't be the purpose of good works. If you're doing things for others so that they can say, man, you're so wonderful, you're so kind, you're so great, give you that pat on the back, then you've missed it. The point of shining isn't so that people can look to us. It's shining Christ so they can look to Jesus. It's to point them to Him because it's not us that people need. It's Christ that people need. And so our works, our words, how we live should all be in a way that shines and points people to Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan said this, The church did the most for the world when the church was least like the world. Today, many churches have the idea they must imitate the world in order to reach the world. A nation will not decay and collapse because of people who peddle pornography or illicit drugs, but because of Christians who are no longer salt and light. Sinners will act like sinners. When saints begin acting like sinners, their compromise hurts not only themselves and their families and churches, but also contributes to the decay of the entire nation. We looked at this a little last week as being salt, and I want to reiterate that as light as well. We throw up our arms and we think, man, how can the world live this way? But, you know, what do we expect from sinners except to sin? 
we want to see a change, why aren't we looking at the church? Why aren't we looking at ourselves? Are we being the salt? Are we being the light that we're supposed to be? Because we are the, the agents of change that God has called. I've called you to reach this world. I've called you to shine for me. I've called you to be my ambassador. And so if this world is all messed up, maybe we need to look back and say, maybe the church isn't being as effective as it should because we're not shining the way that we should. 